you're someone who has ever sinned, which I believe is all of us, according to the Bible, if you are someone that has ever messed up and questioned your value, whether it's your value in the eyes of God or your value in the eyes of maybe someone else or your value in the eyes of the church, and that might be many of us, not most of us, if you are someone that has messed up to such an extent that you've wondered if God can ever use you for anything good or valuable or of purpose in this life, which may be some of us, then this message today is for you. And as Ruth just read, Ruth is over here now, you switch sides on me, Ruth. Ruth was over here, they moved over here. As Ruth just read, open your Bibles with us to the book of Exodus chapter 2, Exodus chapter 2, and in just a moment we'll be beginning in verse 11. We're not going to read the whole thing again because she did such a great job of that, but we will pull out some verses there. Now, if you remember from last week, we talked about this. The Pharaoh of Egypt had tried to have all the baby boys of Israel killed, and if it weren't for some, through several heroines in the story, um, many of these boys were saved through these heroines, including baby Moses, who was saved by Pharaoh's daughter herself, and then, of course, Moses was raised in the house of Pharaoh. If you missed last week's sermon, you can go online. And you can go to spencervillechurch.org or you can go to uh, YouTube, our YouTube page, and you can listen to last week's sermon. But Moses is then raised by Pharaoh's daughter. And now when Moses is 40 years old, we don't know much about what happened between that time. But when Moses is 40 years old, he went out to, to fully identify and move amongst the people of his heritage, his, his bloodline. We know that he was 40 years old because the book of Acts chapter 7 and verse 27 tells us that uh, uh, Stephen was quoted as saying, when Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers and the children of Israel. This is how we are aware that he was 40 years old. And while Moses was out visiting his people, he observed something. And that's where we pick it up in uh, Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11. He's out visiting his people. He's, he's identifying with them. He's realizing the suffering they're going through. And the Bible tells us, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, the oppression that was over them through the people of Egypt, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. What is said next makes it very clear that what Moses is about to do was not the right decision. There's two phrases that appear in the next verse that, that clearly indicate that, that the action that Moses is about to take is not the right action. The first phrase is this in verse 12. So Moses sees this happening and in verse 12 it says, he looked this way and that. And then the second phrase, and seen no one. Y'all, when you are about to do something in your life, if you feel the need to first look this way and that, it might be a time to pause and say, should I really go forward with this action? If you see that there is no one else there and then you know it's safe to do that action, that may mean that that action is not actually safe. When I first thought about this, I thought about, uh, when, I, when I read this passage, the illustration popped into my mind of going to a movie store and you're gonna rent a video and I've always grown up in Adventist ghettos. That means there's a lot of Adventists around, that's what I mean. And, and you know, you're gonna rent that video that you know probably you shouldn't rent, and so you look this way and that. 
But then when I thought of that illustration, I realized that there's a whole generation who has no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> Where have all the blockbusters gone? Jo you know, Simon and Garfunkel. Where's Joe DiMaggio gone? Where's all the blockbusters gone? And uh, um, there is actually, I thought there were two left in Alaska. Both of Alaska ones have closed down. There's now one blockbuster left in Bend, Oregon. So if any of you are desperate for a blockbuster, just grab a flight to Bend, Oregon. Just make sure you don't get those movies that you have to look this way and that on. But that's what Moses did. He looked this way and that. And the Bible tells us, seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian, not just knocked him out, but killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He killed the Egyptian. He ended this Egyptian's life and then hid the evidence, buried the evidence. I want to point out a very important lesson about this moment in the story to us. Although his action is extreme and, and his action is, 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 is the wrong action, we can see that as the story carries on, Moses' heart was actually in the right place. Moses' heart was in the right place. In the original language, uh, uh, in the Hebrew language that the Bible was originally written in, the Old Testament was written in, the word here for, for when Moses looked upon what was happening, the word is yarah, which is more than just looking at something and seeing it and saying, oh, there's, there's that thing. It's more than, than just, just seeing my friend mate here and saying, oh, there's mate, nice to see him. But I'm not emotionally invested in mate. You know, I mean, I am emotionally invested in you, but not in this moment right now, you know. It's like seeing you doesn't stir up this well of emotion and tears and things like that. No offense to you. I love you, but no offense to you. To yura means to look and to look in such a way that, that you become emotionally vest, invested, emotionally stirred in such a way that in what you are looking upon, you, you physically feel the need to act. That's what's happening to Moses. When I was 17 years old, we were at the Lexington, in Lexington, Kentucky, at the Kentucky Horse Park. It's where the great uh, racehorse man of war is buried, and there's a museum there and everything. And we were at this Kentucky horse farm, and it was myself, my little sister, and my parents. Uh, my sis older sister was off at college, and the four of us were there. And I was sitting on a bench. I don't know what the rest of my family was doing. They were right there by me, though. I remember that. But I was sitting on a bench, and I was watching uh, something. I was looking upon something. And everyone else would have known what was going on, but I guess everyone else was trying to ignore it and, and shut it out. But I was looking upon this thing and becoming invested. Because right uh, just a few feet away from us, there was this mother uh, standing over her daughter or her preteen daughter, and she was just screaming at her. She was in her face screaming at her, just uh, belittling her and, and, and calling her all kinds of derogatory names, names I... I you know, I would never say call a woman, and here this mother is calling this, this daughter these names. And the dad is just standing there with his arms folded like this, and there's another daughter crying. The daughter that's getting screamed at is not saying a word back. She just has tears rolling down her face, and this mom is just screaming at her. And everybody you know is trying to ignore them, but I'm, I'm becoming locked in. I'm looking upon this, and I'm invested. I'm becoming, uh, I'm becoming emotionally entangled in this moment. And then all of a sudden, the mom draws back her hand and just smacks her daughter right in the face. And the dad just stands there. Well, I immediately jump up, and I said something probably I shouldn't have said, and I take a few steps, and my mom, realizing, you know, everyone knows what's happening, everyone's, but they're all trying to, my mom says, Daryl, get your son now. 
My dad grabs a hold of me, steps between me and this, this family. I was going over to lay hands on these people, and it wasn't to bless them, if I could, if I could say that. I was emotionally invested. There was something that stirred something within me. This is what happens to Moses. Moses' heart is in the right place. He sees injustice. He's not, he's not looking upon this and, and saying, ooh, this is my chance to gain power or, or, or oh man, they're gonna think I'm so tough. No, he's emotionally invested in this moment. That's what the Hebrew word is describing. And he, he steps in and he does something. He does something. But what he did was the wrong thing. In Romans chapter 10, Paul talks about this. Roman describes a group of believers who have holy zeal for God, but their zeal is lacking an understanding of God's righteousness, an understanding of God's ways. This is Moses in this moment. His failure is not his, his motivation. His failure is his method. He has a lack of understanding of God's ways and, and how God wants to work out in this situation. And that is the lesson in this part of the story to us. Our emotions, our desire, even our, our sense of, of just, what is just and unjust, should never supersede God's word and God's truth and God's ways. And sometimes we do this. Sometimes we put ourselves into a situation, we compromise, we go to certain things that maybe we shouldn't go to or we do certain things because, hey, we want to show these people that we love them or we support them. We maybe tell a lie, a little maybe white lie, it doesn't seem that significant because, you know what, we just want to protect the situation or keep the situation calm or a multitude of other things that we do. The ends, we think, justify the means, but, but as we see in the scriptures, the ends never justify the means. And so his motives are right, but his methods are wrong. But Moses didn't just go somewhere he shouldn't go, and Moses just didn't say something he shouldn't say. Moses ends another human being's life. He is a murderer. He is a murderer. We quickly learn that, and we see that this does not go the way that Moses hoped that it would go. He hoped that no one would hear about this, thus he hid the evidence. But it's not going the way that Moses thinks it will go. And, and Pharaoh finds out, the scriptures tell us, and thus Moses fled for his life out of Egypt. There have been commentators that have tried to exonerate Moses' actions or try to justify Moses' actions, tried to rationalize his actions. In doing so, what they actually are doing is eliminating the most beautiful aspect of this story to me, which is the grace of God, the grace of our Savior, Jesus. I believe one of the greatest evidences that Moses did wrong was that after he fled Egypt, he was in exile for 40 years. He was in exile from Egypt for 40 years. Ellen White wrote in the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, that Moses had not yet learned faith in God and that while what he was doing, what his, 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 his motivation was right, his actions were wrong and that he does what so many of us do, he tried to do God's work for God and do it in his way rather than in God's way. But not only was Moses in exile for 40 years, Moses was in exile in a particular manner and way, and I'll share that with you in just a moment. The Bible says God led Moses to Midian, and there he met a woman named Zipporah, and he was married to her. They had two sons. We only hear about one son in the verses that we read today, but they had two sons. 
And Moses became a shepherd. A shepherd. For 40 years, this was his life. The first 40 years of his life, Moses was a leader, was on the highest rung of all the land in Egypt, being raised in Pharaoh's court. And if you remember from the book of Genesis, at the very end of the book of Genesis, uh, Joseph tells his family to say you want to live in Goshen. Why? Because the Egyptians despise shepherds. They look down upon shepherds. And so now Moses has been taken out of being the highest rung in the land. And now not only is he in exile for 40 years, but he's in exile as a shepherd. He's gone from the highest rung to the lowest rung. An exile in outside of Egypt. And for those same 40 years, the Bible tells us Israelites were continuing to be oppressed in the land of Egypt. But we see that God still had a plan. Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verses 23 through 25, or beginning in verse 23 and going on through 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. What this is telling us is that God still has a plan. God still has a way of being there for his people. And if you are reading the Bible for the first time or someone was relating this story to you for the first time and they told you that there's been these people suffering and, and Moses was supposed to be the deliverer but then he murders someone and he, and he buries the evidence and, and they continue to tell you the story and for another 40 years the people continue to suffer. If, if you had never heard this story before, what comes next would surprise you. Now, we've heard, most of us have heard this story before, and so it doesn't catch us off guard the way it should. But if we had never heard this story before, what comes next should catch us off guard. It should say, wait a second, this doesn't seem, seem right. You see, the story then shifts. It says God had a plan. God knew what was going on, and God was there for his people. And the Bible then tells us in chapter 3, verse 1, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. I still hear the, from the Charlton Heston movie, Moses, Moses. You hear that too? I see Charlton turning aside, you know, looking all nice, this gray hair. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, God said, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And then this is the shocking line, come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, 
the children of Israel out of Egypt. Wow. Wow. See, we're just a little too familiar with it, so it doesn't wow us. But it should wow us. It should wow us. God has just invited a known murderer to lead the greatest religious movement in the history of mankind up to that point in time. Here's another reason why it should wow us. Let us be honest. If a known murderer joined our ranks here in this church, if a convicted murderer came to this church, the vast majority of us would not invite him or her to lead us even if they had served 40 years in prison and done their time. Even if we could say, well, you know, the murder was an anger of passion and, 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 a, and a moment when, when Yorah, they were looking upon this violence that was taking place and they just reacted and, and killed a man. So they served their time and now they're at. I would dare say very few of us would say, you know what, that guy should be the guy, that gal should be the gal that would chair our church board. Much less lead the movement of hundreds of thousands of people. We'd maybe let them change the light bulbs under supervision. This should be wow. God still has a plan. Yes, God still has a plan to save the children of Israel. And he's going to use the murder. And this isn't a one-off by God. This isn't like a one-time thing by God. We see this throughout the Bible. David, the adulterer, the murderer, God allowed him to stay king. And then when others tried to overthrow him from his throne, God protected him and his throne. The, constant, the, 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 the habitual fornicator, Samson, was the one chosen to deliver God's people from the Philistines. The two most prominent evangelists in the, in the New Testament, Peter. Peter chopped off a man's ear, and then three times he denied Christ. And on the third time, he said, I'm going to just let out a few extra words to make sure that they understand that I'm really not a follower of Jesus. Oh, and then the other evangelist, what did he do? Prominent evangelist in the New Testament. He oversaw the arrests and the execution of Christians. Now, in no way are we justifying their sin. And we go, when we get to heaven and talk to these individuals, they will tell us that their heart aches over the things that they did. They all suffered consequences. Moses wandered in the desert for 40 years and, 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 and suffered under that. And, and, and Samson lost his eyes and David lost many children. And, and, and Peter was, was broken to, to a point of deep, deep shame and guilt. And Paul tells us that, that he had a thorn in his flesh and he asked God to remove it. And God said, no, because it keeps you dependent upon me and trusting in me. They all suffered their consequences for, for their sin, for the things that they had done. But God still used every single one of them. Moses responds to God, verse 11. Look at verse 11 of chapter 3. Moses responds to God. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Again, sometimes in our understanding of the story and in our culture, it's easy to be critical here of Moses. And you've heard preachers and you've, heard, you've read commentaries in which it is said, Moses lacked faith and trust in God. But Moses just said the same thing that, that many of us would say. In fact, if we were on the nominating committee in which Moses had been nominated 
and Moses came before that committee and said, you know what, I'd like to withdraw my name, most of us would go, I think this is a good idea, yeah, yeah. I think, it's, I think it's a smart choice, Moses. We're glad that you're withdrawing your name so that we don't have to shame you and tell you no way we're ever gonna let you do this. If you could go back out now, we have a light bulb that's out and you could change it, please. We have one out here, so if someone can change that for me, we'd be grateful. Um, Moses, maybe he, he did lack some faith, but, but, but let's be real. Moses is doing the very thing that all of us would affirm. Are you sure you want Moses to go talk to Pharaoh? But God does. Because here is the truth of this whole picture. The Lord is far more gracious than any of us. Not only is he far more gracious of any of us towards others, but he's also far more gracious towards us than we are towards ourselves. And I thank Jesus for that. How could God be this gracious? Well, of course, because Jesus died for Moses' sins the same way he died for our sins. Gives him the right to, to give this grace and to extend this grace. But the Bible tells us in verse 12, the Lord said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve, you shall worship God on this mountain. What I would say to you today and to myself, if you are a great sinner, even if you're just a little bit of a sinner, God is bigger and more gracious than your greatest failings and your greatest struggles. What I would say to you if at times you feel like you've, you've fallen so far that, that, you're, that you're worthless, that God could never use you because of what you have done with your life, I would tell you that God still wants to use you. Jesus still has a plan for your life. He didn't die for you just so you could hang out. He died for you so that you could still fulfill his mission. Now, most of us won't be asked to lead a movement of hundreds and thousands of people. But the size of the using should not matter. Just the fact that Jesus still wants to use us should give our hearts joy and cause us to rejoice. What did Moses do? Here's what Moses did. He saw the burning bush and he turned aside to look at it and then he approached it. And when he approached it, God said, Moses, Moses. And, and, and Moses looked away, but he did not move away. He looked away, but he did not move away. And when God calls out to us and he reaches out to us and, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us and Jesus convicts our heart that I want you, that is all we do is we just turn to God and say, okay, I hear you. I'm not moving away. God, what, what do you want of me? We may say, God, I don't think this is a good idea. I don't think this is a good idea. We're gonna talk more about that next week. The most important thing to remember if God has called you to something above all things. But God wants to use you and he wants to use me no matter our past. Now I wanna close with four quick texts. Four texts we're gonna close with that I think illustrate how God, how God is able to do this. How is God able to move beyond the fact that, that, that Moses is a murderer? How is he able to move beyond the fact that, that and, and, and I said, of course, through the covering of Jesus, but, but even mentally, how is he able to move beyond the fact that David is an adulterer and a murderer? How is he able to move beyond the fact that Samson is a fornicator and that, and that, and that Peter is a denier and that, and, that, and that 
Paul is an executioner. How is he able to move beyond this? Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25. God says this about himself. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. So your transgressions, God blots those out for his honor, for his glory. And I will not remember your sins, God says. And then Micah chapter 7 and verse 19 uses a couple of, of, of metaphors, analogies for us to see this. Tells us, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities. In other words, God will walk, will, will, will tread our iniquities under his feet. Tread our iniquities under his feet. In other words, they're like ashes that he treads under his feet. And then it says, and he will cast them our sins into the depths of the sea. In other words, so they're in a place that we cannot find them. We cannot get there. God blots out our past sins and remembers them no more. And this analogizes him treading them under his feet and then casting them into the depths of the sea. Using the story of Moses that we just read, let me show you how this looks now in Moses' life and how God remembers this story that we just looked at in Moses' life. Turn quickly to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 27. It's towards the end of your Bibles. The T brothers, Thessalonians, Titans, I mean, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, and then Philemon, he gets thrown in there. You know, there's always that kid with the off name. And then Hebrews. So the T brothers, and then Philemon, and then Hebrews, all right? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 27. This passage is referencing the very story we, we just read about. This passage is referencing the very story that we just read about. You remember what the, our story that we just read said? When Moses looked this way and that and seen no one, he struck down the Egyptian, he took his life, and then he buried the evidence in the sand, hoping that God would, uh, that no one would see and that no one would know what had happened. That's the story we just read. Listen to how Hebrews relays that same story. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward, and that reward is, of course, eternity with Jesus Christ. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Do you know something? Not a word about the looking this way and that. Not a word about how Moses, when he saw no one, went out and killed the Egyptian. All God remembers is that Moses' heart was in the right place and he forgives and he forgets because God is true to his word. I blot out your sins for my sake and I remember them no more. And Hebrews 11 is proof of that. Here's the same story. And God says, look what Moses did. By faith he did this. What happened? Oh, I don't remember that. It's in the depths of the sea. It is no more. Praise Jesus for his grace. And now one last verse. There's someone in here that has made a lot of bad choices like I have in my life. Some you've heard about from the front, some you won't hear about ever probably. But I've given those sins and those past errors 
and failing to God, but sometimes in my weakness, I go, I go back and I remember them again and I lift them up again and I, and I start to bear that burden of guilt and shame again. And in my mind, sometimes I'll hear the devil whispering, does God really love you? Are you really sorry? Are you really forgiven? Sometimes I'll hear the devil even whisper to me, are you sure you should be a pastor? Are you sure you should be doing this? In one of those moments years ago, one of my mentors, Pastor Dwight, shared the following text with me, and I want to share it with you. It's Romans chapter 11 and verse 29. Romans chapter 11 and verse 29. And I remember this moment, I was sharing this struggle with Dwight, and he said, Chad, boy, that's how he talks. And he snapped at me, boy. He said, look up Romans eleven twenty-nine. And while I was looking it up, he said, I want you to remember this, Chad. God's calling is always on your life. It's always there if you will just accept it and lean on him. And he said, because Romans chapter 11, verse 29 says that the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. When you see that burning bush in your life burning and God's calling you, we just turn to God and say, God, I accept that your call is still on my life. I accept that you still have a plan for this world and that you still desire to use me in that plan. I want to tell you today, if you're like me or if you're like Moses, if the devil is whispering in your ear that you're not good enough, please hear this voice above those whispers. God still loves you and God still has a plan for this world and you, he wants you to be a part of that plan. A grace that covers all of our sins. That's God's grace. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for this grace that covers all of our sins. Lord, please help each one of us to understand that, not just logically, because it's not, it isn't really logical. Help us to understand it internally, that through the death of the Son, Jesus Christ, through, through the grace of God, we are able to be made new in you. We are able to have a burning bush and the voice of God calling to us, saying, I've still chosen you, and I still have a plan for you. We thank you, Jesus, for this witness of Moses and the witness of your grace and your love and your mercy, that you remember sins no more. In your name we pray, amen.